0: This is the Picard Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Star Trek Picard, Episode 7, Nepenthe. Welcome back, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers. This is TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about the seventh episode of Star Trek Picard, Nepenthe, on episode 468 of TV Podcast
1: Industries. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Jolan True, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers, I am one of your other hosts, John.
2: And I have beamed back aboard for this podcast. It is I, Chris. I am back with the group. I am back with my number one and my number two. Excellent.
3: I'm
1: not yes. talking about my toilet. He has come from the Borg Collective. <laughs> uh we said you had we on a business trip with the board collective mm-hmm. he is finally back
2: yeah exactly sometimes it does feel like i was with all the xbs but, uh, <laughs> <It's different>. xbs <laughs> means something else in, my, in that term
0: it possibly does can i can i bag you being number
1: one not number two chris sure excellent sure. thank you
2: john you are my number two <laughs> <laughs> You're hooray me, number two. uh i can't wait for
1: that as long as you've not had red velvet
2: no but i did have a lot of sweet corn
1: Oh, no. oh,
0: dear. Well, with that, welcome back, everybody, to our discussion about Star Trek Picard. Great to have you back, Chris. Really hope you've been enjoying the last couple of episodes. Uh, we haven't been enjoying it as much for the unfortunately, but we've been uh-huh. loving the, the episodes of the TV show. It's been really, really good. It's been building since episode four onwards as they were kind of settling, setting up the show, setting up the characters, and then the last three episodes seem to have been building towards this mission. This seems like a little bit of a diversion episode in some ways, but really important to... The show itself you know um one of the things i was talking talking to john during the week one of the things that i don't know whether i mentioned back at the beginning of this podcast uh, one of the things that stood out about uh, sir patrick stewart uh, at the european premiere when he was on stage talking about the show and the executive producers what they were talking about really was this is the first star trek show not named after a ship it's named after a person and there's a real reason for that which is the show is the journey of picard it's going from one point where he is very different to the character that we knew from the next generation moving on to a place where he is more like the character we used to know and i think that's evident in this episode particularly with some of the conversations that he has
1: it's more about the journey of picard not the ship because exactly. star trek isn't the name of a ship that's true yes yes or the next generation <laughs> yes that's true, that's yeah, true. okay <laughs> the first show since the next generation thanks for putting that one out john that's true because voyager is the spaceship that they travel on jane away Mm -hmm. captains and deep space nine is the space station as well yes and discovery is the
0: ship exactly and the and star trek enterprise was about the enterprise so yeah
2: but what about Star Trek, Star, Star
0: Trek? It was Star Trek The Next Generation was the title, not Star, the Star Trek. But the original Star Trek. Star Trek Enterprise, starring Scott Bakula as Captain Archer. was uh, okay, Enterprise. yeah. yeah, yeah. So the yeah, first Enterprise. Yes. Yes.
1: The first one. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly.
0: So that was a point that they made. I think it's really important, particularly one of the conversations that we're definitely going to talk about uh, in the episode. It's about the guidance of Picard, getting Picard back to where he wants to be as a person, I suppose. So that's why he's been a little bit different as the show has been progressing and also his age and the amount of time that's been past since The Next Generation, but I'm surprised it didn't highlight it because it was one of the most interesting things they talked about, I thought, at the European premiere. We
1: also do get the coolest Vulcan ever with Commander O in her shades. Yay! Mm. I think she used to take a... Acoustic guitar into school, I reckon. <laughs> well, uh, we may have a theory about why she's wearing the shades. We will talk about that later
0: on as we go to the episode. Anyway, welcome back, everybody. Uh, make sure that you have subscribed to the podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback about the episodes that we've been talking about so far. You can leave a voicemail over on our website up to 90 seconds about your thoughts about any of the episodes so far, or you can email us to feedback at com. And as of today, as we're recording, we have finished our rewatch of season one of Penny Dreadful. We've released uh, all eight episodes of that over exclusively on our Patreon feed at patreon.com slash tvpodcastindustries. If you support us for any amount, you'll get access to all eight of those episodes, and you'll get access to all the rest of the episodes that we're releasing over the next few weeks in the lead up to the launch of the sequel series, Penny Dreadful City of Angels. So if you want more of us, that's a great way to get much more of us.
1: Yes, if you like us beaming into your ears... Um, and our soft dulcet tones, then of course pick up your favorite podcast catcher, any Romulan or Federation supporting podcast player. And you can listen to us through our main feed or through Patreon for the. Penny dreadful rewatch that we're doing at the moment. Mm.
2: Yes, I've yet to join. Uh, it is not I who who is joining you at the moment because if I don't have such a beautiful Aussie accent as Ray, uh, I wish I did, but Mm -hmm. no. Um, but that, that man has filled my virtual seat, uh, in this podcast booth, uh, amazingly well. I will be back for future episodes. Um, yes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to
0: it. Yeah, we're hoping actually to keep you spoiler-free for the uh, for the fourth season of, uh, of Penny Dreadful. So if you don't get the chance to rewatch, it might be interesting to have your opinion coming into the show uh, without having rewatched it. But that, that yeah, could be interesting
1: well, ev- every toy shop I walk past at the moment, uh, I'm screaming because we're in season two now. Mm-hmm. We're covering that with the creepy as hell dolls. So yes, yeah. I'm glad picard doesn't have any dolls aboard la serena <laughs> absolutely and just a reminder for Trek picard
0: fans uh, one of the major characters in the show is played by harry Treadaway. he plays victor frankenstein so really cool to see him as a much younger actor he's, he's what six years ago wasn't it when, when that was filmed so a much younger character and a much younger actor in that show much less confident i suppose and it plays in really well with his character frankenstein so if you like him on picard definitely watch him on penny dreadful and join
1: us for this podcast yes and of course brent spiner will be um on penny dreadful city of angels in april so yes a few little crossovers there that we uh didn't foresee when we were doing this yeah always good always good
2: all series all universes colliding Mm -hmm. exactly when we get vampires in star trek picard season two that's when we know everything has come together. Full circle.
0: <laughs> well, if you watched uh, Star Trek Nemesis, the uh, the uh, Remans in that show, the kind of Romulan associates, did look very vampiric uh, in that movie. So, uh, so they've already kind of done something like that. <laughs> anyway, let's get into the episode of Star Trek Picard. Not here to talk any more about Penny Dreadful. We're doing a lot of that over at Patreon. So uh, let's get into this episode of Star Trek Picard. Star Trek Picard, episode 7. Nepenthe was written by Samantha Humphrey and Michael Sheban. Uh, Samantha Humphrey was as a working writer; she worked on many episodes of shows like CSI New York, Alias, and SWAT. So, uh, this is the first episode for Star Trek Picard, though first episode for Star Trek overall, actually. So, uh, so really cool to have her on board. Yeah, what a SWAT,
2: <laughs>
0: SWAT. Yes, yes, the TV show SWAT.
2: now so. <laughs> we're asking Derek just to put in the who at this point, so it just goes, "What a SWAT!" Wow. <laughs> just like the
0: beginning of csi ah i was wondering what the heck the who was yeah, i yeah, have you know, never watched mean, an episode me. of csi it's uh <sighs> another one of my claims what? to fame that i'm only getting through three episodes of breaking bad so uh yeah so I'm, I'm emmy
1: award-winning tv series
0: that's it's just passed me by not for myself not for myself this episode was directed by douglas Arnie okoski He's directed three episodes of Star Trek Discovery, one in season one, two in season two. Uh, also directed the Star Trek The Brightest Star, the short track episode, uh, the one with Saru the Kelpian, uh, before he joins uh, Starfleet. Remember that one? Where it's himself and his sister on his original yeah, planet. Yeah, vaguely. Yeah. yeah. So in one of the early short tracks. But, uh, but cool to have him on board here. So he has some visibility of the Star Trek universe. Uh, and there is a little reference in the
1: episode to uh, Star Trek Discovery as well.
0: But John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with the synopsis for this
1: episode? Sure. Picard and Soji transport to the planet Nepenthe, home to some old and trusted friends. As the rest of the crew of La Serena attempt to join them, Picard helps Soji make sense of her recently unlocked memories. Meanwhile, Hugh and Elnor are left on the Borg Cube and must face an angry Nerissa. Excellent. Yes, they obviously didn't want to
0: give away the special guest stars in this episode. So they had to write their synopsis around, uh, the fact that we have, um, the wonderful Will Riker and the awesome Deanna Troy back in this episode. So, uh, they seemed to want to avoid that, didn't they?
2: But we did know they were coming back. Yeah. So, like, as we got further into the series, I was like, they're going to show them at some point. And as soon as I saw, uh, the synopsis was uh, some trusted friends. I was like, okay, this is this episode. Yeah, exactly.
0: exactly. Yeah, I think uh, the question actually went out very late to uh, Jonathan Frakes, who plays uh, Will Riker. The question went out quite late to him to ask him to come on to the show. So uh, so they've been trying to hide it a little bit, but PR companies, marketing departments, have been putting out photographs of them for weeks showing that they're in this episode, but uh, they had a sizable story and quite a cool central role in this episode, I think. Um, We normally talk about all of our episodes of Star Trek Picard by picking our three favourite moments each and discussing through them. Our first favourite moment is our prime directive.
3: We must face the ramifications of the prime directive.
0: So, John, do you want to kick us off with your prime directive, your favourite moment from the episode?
1: Well, speaking of those old and trusted friends, my big moment is the trip down memory lane for this. Having uh, Diana and Will Riker here um, for me was just fantastic. Mm. It was a really, you know, I, I might get a little sort of dewy eyes here, but it, it was really nostalgic. Uh, it was infused with warm emotions. Um, and for me, it just made it utterly brilliant. It really captured the next generation, and brought it into this this time within um you know the federation uh, in the future in, in such a nice way it mm-hmm. looked back but it was so important for this show mm-hmm. and for the um the, the mission that Jean-Luc finds himself on. Uh, and I think in particular, you know, cause I, I know, um, you, you're taking D- Diana really, but I want to pick Riker and, and Picard here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just thought they were so good together. You, you just, the chemistry came back immediately. You felt as though it was all friends coming back because it is in reality, and that just translates even more with these great actors mm-hmm. uh, into something that felt absolutely as genuine as anything. So I absolutely uh, loved these two uh, together. Yeah. Um, I have to say, before I kind of really get into my main point, I love the fact that Will Riker was aboard what I am calling the USS Family Kitchen. <laughs> um, I thought this was just a moment of genius mm-hmm. <laughs> where he's in the kitchen with his apron on, uh, and as soon as he realizes that Jean-Luc is there, it's suddenly back to battle stations. It's kind of shields up, long-range scanners, active, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Cloak detectors, active, all this kind of stuff. I just thought that was the best kitchen ever. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, yeah. I thought it was really, really cool that he was treating it just like the bridge of Enterprise. And yeah. um, what a great little touch that was. Um, I love this this idea that they're in this really idyllic place. You know, it's surrounded by trees. This
0: beautiful location where they filmed this is absolutely <laughs> gorgeous. And like you know, it's just shields up, and you see the shields popping up in the background. You know, it's it's completely kitted out for the former captain of a, of, a, of a ship you know so it's so a very cool but that's level.
1: it i was expecting him to say red alert and mm. for the oven to start sort of flashing red and you getting the noise you know yeah. the, the classic red red alert well they did have that reference up.
0: didn't they when when there was the pizza was burning you do hear cancel red alert it's just a burnt well yeah alert, no so. exactly so
1: <laughs> you know this was this was just really really uh nicely done mm-hmm. um but i think what was So much better as well was just Riker and Picard. And in particular, I think Riker here, you know, you can see he knows his captain. They've worked together. It really gave a sense of that longevity of the next generation. Uh, You know, his analysis of the situation that she is an android, they're on the run from the Romulans, it's her that she's after, what has she done to... In, in a sense, another big insight into Picard, actually, or dare I say it, revisionist take, you could almost argue, on, on Picard, where he says classic Picard arrogance, you know, because Jean-Luc is trying to shield Will and Diana and um, Kestra, their daughter, mm-hmm. from from coming you know he says he regrets it so he's trying not to give anything away to them so that if the romulans do come they have nothing to tell them and you understand that but Riker's kind of like you know you know who i am we're friends uh you can tell me but he doesn't need to because Riker can just analyze the hell out of that mm-hmm. uh, and he he gets it spot on Uh, With regards to the situation and and just kind of indicating to Picard that, you know, he's always been best when he's brought other people uh, in to make the decisions. And this is another big element of this, as you were saying before, this is where Picard... In a sense, it almost gets reset a little yeah. by by visiting these old friends who can cut through the smoke and mirrors and the ego and everything that um Picard has become within Starfleet and the Federation because of all his successes yeah. um and they just cut to the heart of the matter
0: well, the first thing that Picard says really yeah, Picard. to the two of them when he arrives is that he's in over his head, you know? And that's that's a true trust between him and the friends that he's made. You know, these aren't just people that served with him in the past. There's 16 years since they served together, or more, actually, probably about 20 years since they served together. This is a time for him to say, I am here as a friend and I need help. Um, And it's something that, you know, the character, other people think, that this character, Picard, wouldn't reach out for help, but he always did in the past. Uh, he's been trying to do this alone, and now he's going, actually, maybe I need to take a breath <laughs> and uh, trust in some of my friends. You know, I love that the way that he describes it to Will is, I had a ship, I had a crew of sorts, they're all gone now. I had a plan, which turned out to be half a plan. <laughs> it's like, please help me out here, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I, it's just really nice. Um, But I think you really get the sense that this comes from a place of Immense friendship between the two and a great respect, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I think that's slightly that that's what sets this apart from maybe the admiral um, telling Picard, "No, you can't just have a Starfleet ship to go off mm-hmm. on this mission that you've kind of cooked up." That that's coming from a place of where she feels threatened by his knowledge of, of yeah. Starfleet uh, and his success, his standing. Yeah. Riker doesn't have that. I, I thought this was a really nice way of saying the same thing, but I suppose ultimately with it coming from Riker, um, you know that it's it's nothing malicious. It's actually just him trying to tell Picard, come back to who you actually are, mm-hmm. which is someone um, who brings other people in on decisions, gets all the information, and then acts. And I, I just really... Really, really enjoyed this, um, the, the two of these together. And I think them sat on the bench on the little jetty in the, the, the pond Yeah. Um, with that scenery. Oh,
2: that, was, that scene was amazing. It was, wasn't it? It was just
1: so, so nice and lovely. Um, so that that's my main point, really, is this nostalgia-infused, um, utterly brilliant sort of linking between the next generation um and, and this new series Picard mm-hmm. uh, and and in particular i, I think through Riker and Deanna uh, as well as Kestra but it it's it's it really was um so so good and all yeah. the nice little touches back to how Will Riker was on the bridge of Enterprise was yeah. just so so good. Absolutely. I love that moment when the two of them are sitting together on the bench at the end of the episode.
0: I thought it was, I thought it was a lovely scene, but it also showed the frailty of Patrick Stewart, really, you know, in, in side by side with Jonathan Frakes. And they're not that far in, in difference in age, but side by side with this very large man in Jonathan Frakes who looks like he's about six or seven inches taller than, than yeah. Patrick Stewart. Yeah. But he almost, he has his hand on his shoulder throughout the conversation. And he kind of hugs him close towards the end saying, you know, I never thought you should retire and should have given up your position. And there's a kind of frailty almost in Picard being able to take the respect from his friends, the caring from his friend, just for a moment, to kind of let himself be in the embrace of a friend telling him, I trust you in you, I believe in you. And it's, it's a lovely film scene. I thought it was really interesting, but it does make him look quite frail side by side with this other former captain from, uh, from Starfleet. So uh, anything else about Riker, Chris?
2: No, for me, it was just that they, it it's that friendship. So like it, it's, they're two friends who haven't seen each other. Mm-hmm. For years, but they fall back into it. We all have those friends. It's like, oh, okay, I haven't chatted you for like I haven't chatted to you for six months, but we're going to talk like we talked yesterday. Mm-hmm. So that falling into the number one and or uh, captain versus number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's at the same time, Riker, as you said, he the he calls out the Picard arrogance. They've gone beyond. Captain and number one. There, there, there's that friendship, that bond where... Absolutely. like, at the beginning, it was probably more towards the films where... Uh, or towards the end of Next Generation where Riker did call Picard out on things and disagreed mm-hmm. with him openly and things like that. And it's yeah. good to see that. Two quick things. One, if I'm wearing a black uh, jacket and either of you are making pizza dough and come at me... With uh, big flowery hands and smack Uh them on my back and cover me in flour. I'm going to kill you. Ah, Just putting that out there. Even if I haven't seen you for years, I'm like, give me a second to take the jacket off. (laughs) Give me, like, dude...
0: It comes from a place of love, Chris. I know, I know. <laughs> it
2: will also come from you paying for my dry cleaning.
0: <laughs> 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 There's no form of payment at all in this version of the world, Chris. Everybody's much more beyond the possessions that we have in our time. <laughs> what, if we th-
1: what if we threw a bag of flour at you? <laughs> we definitely Wait,
2: let's that. Let's see that. Followed
1: um, by water and then <laughs> eggs.
2: <laughs> and then it all comes together. <laughs> uh,
1: <yeah. laughs> Chris's rage all comes together <laughs> in a lovely cake mix excellent excellent
2: my the the big bit is for me is that Riker helps reset Picard right um the question is I don't get why Riker didn't go with Picard I understand Troy I because the daughter's there
0: mm-hmm. I
2: understand that I don't get why Riker didn't even offer because at least. He he would go, "I'll go with you, I'll help. We'll do this together, yeah, like let me relive my glory day, don't relive my glory days, but I'll be there one last hurrah, like the the last Alamo,
0: see, I think he does offer that, Chris, he says that he is still in reserve. To be on Starfleet, but it would need to be a very big reason to go out there again, and I don't think he feels this is big. I don't think he feels this is big enough.
2: But that's um, the Federation. He's on reserve. It's like yeah. being your, your reserve in the army. You're going to get yeah. called back up. This is one of my best friends, my confidant. Mm-hmm. He needs help. He's on the run. He he's life threatening situation. Yeah. I'm in the military. I know what to do. Why don't I just put on my back backpack, go with him for a while? That's it. and I get it. Maybe he'll come back later. Maybe they'll they'll like reset and kind of like explain. I
0: but that's know. the point, Chris. He's he's in the military. He's in the police, let's say for example. This is a, gal- a galactic police force kind of. Um he's still working for them. He can't just go off on a whim and go against their wishes. Remember, Picard is retired from Starfleet, so he's not beholden to them telling him you can't have a spaceship. He's got himself his own spaceship, and now he's out roaming. Uh, Riker's still effectively working for them. Uh, also, and I think it, it goes very well into my big moment from the episode, it's not just that the three of them are on this planet, and it's not just that Kestra will need protection if Riker goes off on a mission. It's also that they've lost their son. Um, Thad died... When they came to this planet and it's affected all three of them in quite significant ways. And I just, this is my major point is the loss of Thad Riker Troy, Uh, a character we don't see on screen. We've never known that they had any children at all. We've, we, we assumed that they got married and had kids and lived life ever uh, happily ever after kind of thing. But the presence of this character and how well written this is within the, the the scenes from the opening moment where you see Kester arriving and she talks about the fact that she's dressed up because it's a game that her brother had and you're expecting her to introduce you to the brother. Then you have the introduction of Diana Troy, who's, Saying to Picard, you can stay in Thad's bedroom kind of thing. And you're going, oh, he must be off of college or something. Maybe that's what it is. And then the build of it, that effectively the whole reason they're on this planet is because Thad was dying of an illness and the only place that could cure him possibly was this planet. Because they outlawed the synthetics, which could have possibly saved them if they'd they'd investigated in this medical treatment for him because of that this could have been the only place that saved him but they got here too late so these whole scenes are just tinged with the sadness of loss for all of these characters and no one plays that better than marina surface here in this role as deanna troy once again coming back after again 18 years since she played this role you know um I think she's absolutely wonderful here. There's moments that I just had absolute tears in my eyes. There's a, there's a second at the dinner table where Soji references the fact that she now has a home planet and calls it the same thing that Thaddeus called the home planet that he wanted. And Marina Certes, you can see her heart breaking in her eyes as she, as she looks down at the table. You know, the respect that's coming from Soji saying, I've understood the story of your child and I understood the loss that you've all had. That moment between the two of them is just so wonderfully played by by Marina Curtis. you know, something that I also loved in the episode. Remember what this character was like on Next Generation. Now, you know, she got better over the movies and the character got better written as the seasons went on. But every time you saw her, she had to say, I feel something. I feel that you're you're very angry at this situation. You're going, yeah, because you just punched that guy over there. You know, <laughs> they they don't mention once in this episode that she's an empath, that she has special powers that allow her to read other people. The only time they make reference to it is when Soji arrives and she says, "I get nothing from her," but that could be just passed off as something else. They just don't really use her to go to go to Picard and say, "I'm using my powers right now with you to work out that you're this." They play it off that. She knows Picard really well, has known him for 30 odd years, and would know how he feels. But they don't have to play it off that there's this superpower in Star Trek that they need to explain effectively. Like they seem to have to do for seven seasons of that show. She always had to have something to do, and it was usually, I have a feeling about the situation that anybody else could read. <laughs> so I like how it was written for this episode. And I love how it was played by this actress. I think she was wonderful. Probably the best, probably the best performance I've seen for her in any of the things I've seen her in.
2: Yeah. I had to explain to my partner that part with Soji, right? That the empath part, because she was like, "What? What? Why? Like, what does that mean?" I'm like, "Well, right. she Soji is a robot, so she doesn't have emotions, so where mm-hmm. she doesn't give off the emotions that an empath can feel." She goes, "What's an empath?" And I'm like, "Okay, hold on." Yeah. Taking it back, <laughs> back on Beta's head, where the the empaths are come from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I I do love Troy. Mm-hmm. Um, the printer in my office is called Troy. Um, <laughs> it hangs above my so I have a picture of the Troy hanging above my head beside the printer. Actually, um, which is always great for uh, nerds like us. Mm-hmm. The Thad Riker Troy bit. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had missed something. Yes, we knew they were married, but I thought maybe did I miss something in like first contact or something where, or maybe towards the end of. <laughs> Uh, the next generation that there was a uh, they had a kid i was like did i forget they had a kid (laughs) on the Enterprise? because the the photo you see of the baby and uh picard i was like okay that does look pretty fake but i'm like damn i'm getting something (laughs) i think this will come on i'll bring this point out more later on one of my pieces of feedback on the, the the series so far is that they're trying to elicit emotions on some of these characters uh, but they 're doing it at such a breakneck speed that the actual emotional connection the empathetic connection uh, is just not there uh, so I actually don 't have it right so
0: and you didn't you didn 't even feel in this episode like I thought this episode was so perfectly balanced with particularly with the story of a character we 've never met um, and how it was laid out I think it gave enough to each of the characters that. Even though you may not know who they are, or even though you may not have seen them for 20 years, I thought the emotion really played through them all. You know, it's like a stage play, going to see a stage play, you don't know any of the characters walking in, and by the end of the play, you could be bawling your eyes out at some of the things that are going on. And I think that's what Deanna Troy, particularly brought out in me throughout this episode but maybe it's because i do have an emotional connection to those characters because i love them as a kid and, and i've seen the seasons many times as well maybe it's because i have a connection with the two of them but she specifically stood out to me as being really good i do also have to compliment the actress actually played kester the their daughter i think she was really good in in those scenes as well i thought she was quite uh quite adept at handling some of the the emotions of having someone who's lost a brother at the young age that she is, I think she did a really good job on, on the screen there as well.
1: Yeah, I I I thought Diana was was really good here. I loved um again like like Will, you know she 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 kind of knocks Picard a bit. Um, you know she, speaking about Soji, saying you know she's just had a her own consciousness has been violated, which I thought was really mm. sort of interesting way of putting it and certainly as as an empath then you know that's a real insightful way of describing that that consciousness has been violated yeah um what she's thought or thinks she has known um is no longer holds true uh, and there's a huge amount of readjustment happening to soji in this in this episode i i also thought that conversation across the sort of the tomato patch in the garden between Soji and Deanna mm-hmm. were, was was really nice. I thought that was a great chat. Um I mean, I suppose just coming to your point there, Chris, it's kind of you know, I suppose that's what we're finding out in this episode. Feeling sorry for Diana and for Will came from just having known them through the next generation. Mm. And this was new information developments that had happened mm. uh which we're kinda of learning. So um I I, th- I thought that was it tinged a, a lot of the decision making of these two with a huge amount of melancholy. And I think that's part of the reason why Riker doesn't want to go with Picard, even yeah. though he's his best friend, is because with what's happened to them and yeah. um, his command ship is his kitchen is um their house uh, and his family and that's where he's going to stay and and i think picard understands that but if they can, they will help in taking them in and feeding Absolutely. them and allowing them to rest.
0: Absolutely. And there is that um, moment as well.
1: Like Gianni even says it, you know, you can stay for
0: as long as you want to. That's the offer that we have. You stay here. You can stay hidden. We'll feed you. We'll take care of you. You, you have a bed to sleep in, a roof over your head. We'll take in your friends. No yeah. problem at all. But we're not going to leave here. You know, we have... We have our own mission now, which is taking care of our child and our family unit as well, you know. Um I think that's that comes across really well. You're right though, John. That that scene with Soji and uh, and Diana is really good when uh when Isabriona supplies Soji when she turns around to Diana and says to her, But the way you're being right now, the way you're being so kind and caring and loving, I don't trust a thing about that. You know, it's it's you suddenly get that moment of realisation of what Soji has gone through. In the last episode, really, because you kind of have that thing, you know, we saw Daj in the first episode and we've seen Soji over and over again in this relationship with Narek for the last four or five episodes. And you kind of think, you know what's going on in her, but that's because you know that she's an android. You know from the first episode that yeah. is an android, but she didn't know that until she first meets Kester in this episode and goes, oh, you're an android like Data. And suddenly she's like broken at that point right
1: yeah i mean i i think it's you know Soji says i don't trust you kestra and certainly not picard mm-hmm. um because Soji's kind of saying you know what i thought was real is no longer real anymore i i want to get back to real and diana says real is not always better after mm-hmm. saying about being through the reality of losing their son thad so um and everything that that all that pain, disruption that it caused within the family. So I thought it was a great, great um, conversation. And and to be honest, I think I think Deanna Troy has been written in this episode. So, so much better than, mm-hmm. uh, she had been written certainly early on in The Next Generation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Again, it's a different context. They're not on a ship. Mm-hmm. It is a family unit. You, you can, you can get the, the reasoning for it. Yeah. It's, you know, a scientific vessel in, in, um, The Next Generation, but yeah. they put her empathy to some really impactful sort of emotional punches mm-hmm. in what she was doing so i i thought that was really really good absolutely what's that moment where she goes a ship's counselor is not
0: supposed to say this but you had that coming when when soji pushes uh pushes picard out of the way you know so i really like that that little moment between um, the two. yeah
1: and to me it, this whole thing just like with uh, my point on riker just the nostalgia element mm-hmm. to it it was just nice having these people uh interacting mm-hmm. you know
0: Absolutely. That's kind of all the things I had to say about Troy. Anything else, Chris, or do you want to go on to your major point
2: for the episode? No, so I I'd like to kind of move it forward a bit, or should I say flash forward? Um so my part <laughs> is um Gerati, Doctor Gerati and her meeting with Commodore O. hmm Um so we finally get the flashback to show where Commodore O had where she meets Girati and we mm-hmm. get to see what that was. And they um and Commodore O performs a Vulcan mind melt. maybe, sh- maybe or so basically shows Girati an image of what would happen if the what we assume is the, the synthetics rise up.
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm not disputing that it's a mind melt, by the way. I'm just disputing Vulcan still. Yes. It is a mind melt, definitely.
2: Yeah. So my question becomes what did we see there? Mm-hmm. Are we getting into time travel parts here? We've had time travel in Star Trek before. Absolutely. Um, especially in Discovery and things like that.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And lots and lots of uh, Star Trek. I think every show has had some form of yeah. time travel. Even the last episode of Next Generation was effectively a form of time travel, right? Yeah. So, uh, so it's had a lot, yeah.
2: And we've also had different universes. Yes, we have. Yes. What we see here, what I see, you see an image of Earth... <laughs> explode like you see massive explosions on earth yeah and things like that almost like an
1: an annihilation event or something yes
2: exactly yeah Yeah, like literally the comet hitting earth yeah and Mm -hmm. what i'm starting to wonder is so it's not just xenophobia or in terms of against synthetics Mm -hmm. this is starting to get bigger Crazier. I was the under the impression it was maybe something to do more because we had the whole Borg in there that it was maybe the Borg and the synthetics rise up together, blah, blah, blah. That would be where they were going with this. Right. But this starts making me question is, is this a uh, time space wibbly wobbly thing? Mm -hmm. Or is this a different version of the dark? Multiverse in that we've seen in Discovery, right. where they have that this the the Federation or their version of the Federation, I can never remember the name right now, mm-hmm. um, goes against all the other the humans go against all other species of uh, mm-hmm. aliens and becomes is this a like. Commodore O has come from that timeline or that universe, and come there across you
0: go. there you go yes you're you're nailing very close to my theory here, and this is part of the reason that I think she's wearing the shades um because i'm not gonna e- s- <laughs> I'm not going to spoil anything about discovery because we don 't cover discovery there's there's definitely many, many reasons to watch discovery, but one of the things that is in there is a mention of the fact that characters from the mirror universe, which is what you're talking about, Chris, this kind of dark other universe are sensitive to light. So it's possible that this character of Commodore O wearing the sunglasses when she arrives at Jurati has been in another mirror universe, a universe where something like this may have happened, and she's transferring that knowledge to other people to convince them to go against the synthetics. It's just a theory. Um, it's part of the it's part of the you know question as to why she would be working with uh, other characters within the Jafash, uh, the, uh, the underground version of the Romulans. Why would a Vulcan be working with them, especially someone as high up in Starfleet? Uh, why would she be working with them? Maybe she's from a mirror universe, so she doesn't have the same types of traits that a, nor- that a regular Vulcan that we've known in the past uh, would have, you know? There is the possibility that she is also a Romulan. We've never seen a Romulan do a mind meld before, and that's definitely a mind meld here, but it's still possible. We keep saying as we talk about Star Trek Picard that there's a very small amount that we know about Romulans. There were quite uh, two-dimensional characters when created and when used in many other shows before. So uh, the, some of the stuff that's coming in now could be just new information that we've never seen before. But it does, those are two kind of theories that I have there. And I'm, I feel like there's a major reason for those sunglasses. And because they were used in Star Trek Discovery... I think it ties in with the current universe and knowledge that people
1: have about this shit. Well, if if your theory is correct around the mirror universe, um, and obviously we know that they're sensitive to light, so if Mm -hmm. she is from this mirror universe, then that blows my theory Mm -hmm. out, which she is the coolest Commodore O in Starfleet. <laughs> and um, she just happened to be like the Fonzie of like the Federation. She goes uh, up
2: and hits, hits the replicator exactly, and just goes, Ey! Yeah. Ey. and it just makes it copy.
1: Um, so unfortunately, yes. But that whole theory of yours is interesting because we do get Narissa right at the start when um, she is uh, killing the XBs um, and there's Hugh there she says how many operatives have been working across the galaxy um, and and the systems uh, in order to try and get um soji and and Doj dead and to find their homeworld. Mm. so that talk of operatives could be around operatives coming from the mirror mm-hmm. um universe yeah, I mean, the the other dimension in a sense yeah. uh the so it, it could be to do with that so that's maybe another theory is that it seems weird that the vulcans and romulans would be working together but in the mirror universe we know that the equivalent to the federation has been fairly um well is aggressive and has very different ideals to the federation in uh, this universe yeah. and so they could actually be um sort of doing something to try and repel the federation or it's just that in that world the federation earth is something that has gone because maybe yeah, yeah of maybe. the time travel or the traveling
0: over from the mirror universe I just think it's important to note because, remember, we live in Europe, so we get to see uh, these episodes on Amazon Prime. Star Trek Discovery was on uh, Netflix when it came out over in Europe. But remember, these shows are both available on CBS All Access in the US. So that means you watch these episodes and you go, I want to watch some more Star Trek and I want to watch new Star Trek. So you pop over and you watch Discovery. So it would make a lot of sense for them to tie in the Mirror Universe and that travel over from the Mirror Universe because that was a central point for a number of characters within that show. So if you were watching those episodes last week if you watched season 2 of that show and you're now watching episode 7 of this show then suddenly you go oh this all ties in really well, you know. So it's just important to note that the actual channel that made Star Trek Discovery also made Picard so they would be very silly if they didn't do something to tie into that show.
2: I just I just think that they they'll get they'll get hit by a lot of critics if they pull the same university thing uh, in terms of multi, multiverse, like different unit, like I, they, they'll be like, oh, you just, you've done a very similar beat, if you will. Um, It's all connected, Chris. It is true. It's true. It is true. I think
0: it's connecting the shows as opposed to saying that they're repeating the story because the story is massively different. But I think it does does connect the two shows. I think that's massively important for CBS All Access. Remember, they're trying to encourage people that were Star Trek fans to come on board. The biggest way to do that is to get Patrick Stewart on to do his own show. That's going to encourage lots of people that may not have come over for Discovery to subscribe to their channel. And what they want to do is go, do you want to know more story about... What Star Trek is like and other parts of the universe and other pockets of the universe. We've got two seasons of the show over here on CBS All Access that you can now watch with your monthly subscription. I know that sounds very marketing. I know that sounds uh, very manipulative. Sure, why wouldn't you not want to watch it if you're going to pay seven quid a month to watch that channel? Go over and watch Star Trek Discovery. It'll fill in some more gaps for these characters.
2: True, but everyone should watch Star Trek Discovery anyway. It is really, really (laughs) good. For no
0: other reason than it's a great way to spend uh, two seasons of a show. Also,
1: just on one of your points, is that we do get confirmation that the Chad Vash is real. That's true. Nerissa does call out that she is Chad Vash, Mm -hmm. not... Talshia. That's right. Yeah. We, we hear that for the first time in this episode,
0: don't we? We, we'd heard the description about the fact that there is a Shatvash. Uh, early on in the season, but we never heard anybody say that they were members of the Shatvash up until this episode. So, uh, yeah, that is, that is in there as well. Um, I heard somebody call out that they had never seen or never heard Narissa's name spoken on screen. That was, uh, back in episode two when she meets Narek for the first time. He calls her Narissa. So, uh, so that is in the show. So we do yeah. know that her name is Narissa, right? Uh, but I know the synopsis have been putting it in there as well, but it was almost directly after we heard her her name as Lieutenant Commander, whatever it was, that we haven't heard that since, but we've heard Narissa definitely well, on screen.
1: Well, it's funny. I only knew the name because Chris mentioned it. Really? I can't remember it being said, but I'm sure it has been. The I first probably th- just missed it. But it's the
0: first time she visits Narek on the cube. He calls her Narissa. So, yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. So when we're first introduced to her, mm-hmm. she's called something completely when she's undercover. Yeah, and then, then yeah, he he calls her Narissa. Yeah, yeah. He calls her in something first and then says her name like in that monologue. Yes. But anyway, moving forward very quickly because I know we're going super long at the moment. Uh-huh. Jurati as a whole. We see in the flashback where Jurati sees something. We we see lots of very quick flashing imagery, things like that. There's obviously more as well. Because it's just if I came up and just dumped a load of info into your head, and just go, oh my god, the world's going to end unless you do this. That's not going to convince you completely to go kill your lover. So there True. is obviously more to. There's obviously a discussion that happens. And I'm interested to see because I don't know if we'll see that or hear it. But definitely we need to know more. Because essentially it leads Gerati to A, basically kill her lover. Mm-hmm. B... Put the whole of Picard and everyone in danger, not knowingly, but put them in danger and not speak up about the tracker.
1: That's true. But I just wonder whether through the mind meld done by Commander O that she can influence and impact Jurati's mind or emotional response, because I did think that her response... Uh, from that mind meld it's it's pretty instantaneous and i i just thought that because there is that transfer of emotion um images from commander o to Jurassic, that it's imbued her with this response so maybe she's more willing she's more um passive to taking up then uh, the rest of that conversation, I suspect, that happened between Commander O and Dr. Jurati, which we don't see here in this episode. We see her being given a pill, but she, I mean, effectively, Dr. Jurati is kind of like, oh, right, I'm on board immediately yes. because of her emotional response. And I'm like, but is she fully in control of what she's doing, you know, um, and, and that there has been some kind of um, persuasion through that mind meld on dr Jurassic to act in the way that commander o wants her to and i i think that a mind meld can potentially do that it's certainly a very powerful um thing in in the star trek world yeah and you know it can have you sort of on a table going bonkers as well i think if we i'm sure we've seen that some sometime (laughs) if you don't do it very well it could break someone's mind yeah Yeah, exactly so i i really kind of think that jurassic as well is quite um you know she can she's she is someone that takes persuasion quite well i think
0: I agree with you, but I don't think it's anything to do with the mind meld, mind controlling her. I I genuinely think the images that have been supplied to her and all of the feelings and all of the combined information that's provided through her through the mind meld is what convinces her that if she doesn't do something, the world's going to end is what I think is happening there. Um, And I think the only further information we're going to get out of that, because all we got on the show was that moment, and then Girardi throwing up, and then we saw the fact that she killed Bruce Maddox uh, later on in the series, or earlier on in the series, whichever whatever way around you want to say that. It's hard with flashbacks, isn't it? Um, but I think all we're going to get is her explaining that to Rios, or explaining that to Rafi in a later episode. I was shown this is what would happen, and this is what I had to take matters into my own hand, and then uh This is what this is what the outcome was. So uh, I think that's kind of well, it's enough for me, I suppose. If if all of that information was poured into my head, I'd probably do exactly the same throw up uh, on the ground, just like Gerati did. Um And that is what's convinced her to do it. So we have the motivation, at least, uh, of why she's gone on this mission. Let's get into our second points, because my second point is also about Jurati. Implement
3: the Omega Directive immediately.
0: Just one of the other big moments for Gerati is, is her breakdown, I suppose, with Rafi. So, um, my moment is the misunderstanding of Dr. Gerati in the episode because, You know, first it starts off with really Rafi completely misunderstanding the situation, thinking that her sleeping with Rios in the last episode, something's happened between the two of them. And she's just this little girl that's, you know, feels a bit spurned by her new lover kind of thing. You know, she starts feeding her full of cake and um, Hmm. feeding her full of chocolate milk as if she's a child, you know. And suddenly the realization crossing Rafi's head going, oh, hang on a second, Bruce Maddox, you were in love with him and you were in a relationship with him for years or for a number of years And he's dead. She doesn't know she's murdered him, obviously, but she knows that this is a lover that's dead. And I like that kind of moment between the two of them, their misunderstanding. Um, But my misunderstanding in the episode was... I thought that that continued. I thought that she went into the spiral and then ended off trying to kill herself. (laughs) And that's totally my fault. It's not there on screen. When I watched it the second time, I was like, how did I get that at all? Rios is talking to her afterwards, after she's thrown up this velvet cake on the ground uh, that looked really grossly like blood as if her internal organs are melting out of her mouth until she said it's, it's, it's red velvet cake. (laughs) you know. But, but we have that conversation between Rios and her. Um, where Rios is identifying that he thinks they're being tracked because of this implant uh, that he thinks is inside Rafi, because uh, she's the only one that left the ship. And you have Gerati making this uranium hydride piece of equipment to to stab herself in the neck, and she falls over and starts, uh, starts foaming at the mouth, effectively. And I had thought that this was all coming from a sense of guilt, effectively. The guilt, firstly, that she'd killed Bruce Maddox, and secondly, that the ship was being tracked because of her, But of course it's not. It's because she knows how to get rid of this out from her body. Hopefully she hasn't overdosed because of what she's trying to do. Because she does get that warning. But she is a doctor. So what she's actually trying to do is just stop the tracker that's happening and of course the tracker stops immediately afterwards but i had thought she was killing herself i thought that we had this really tragic story of the character that every thought everybody thought was the innocent on the show you know the wesley crusher or like the character of, of tilly from uh, star trek discovery the one that you that everybody loves i thought that's what she started out as at the beginning of the show and then in episode seven we had her committing suicide in the episode you know but luckily The emergency medical hologram is there to go bloody hell and get her onto a a bed as she goes into a coma. So hopefully we'll see her back. How did he
2: do that? Because can emergency holograms lift people? The emergency medical
0: hologram is able to do whatever it needs to do to get the job done. What that could be, and we didn't see it on screen, but... If they can't touch things, what they can do is say transport or trans- transport that body onto okay, that bed. Okay, so okay. they can do that, <laughs> and then just but-
2: wrap her in a lovely. Uh- uh, sheets and hair yeah. to in and yeah.
0: But I believe they are hard light. Remember, we did see him treating Rios uh, earlier on in the episode. So, uh, so uh, you know, I I presume they could touch uh, other beings uh, because it would be a very very useless uh, light uh, hologram that we would have <laughs> if they weren't able to actually touch their patients. But uh, but I do love that moment of uh, of. Emergency medical hologram going bloody hell as he realizes this. Uh, this person who, yeah. who last he saw was murdering somebody. Remember, so uh, will he reveal that to anybody else, or is that going to be p- now patient doctor privilege? Will he reveal that the last time he saw her, he was tur- she was turning him off so that she could kill Bruce Maddox?
1: <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I think um, I I certainly thought she was killing herself. I, I didn't. Th- I thought it was a suicide as well. uh, because of everything. It had all just gotten too much because. Um, I mean, ultimately for me, what I really liked here was, you know, Raffi clocks Jurati here uh, that something's suspicious. Jurati does snap here, you know, and Rafi has that nice moment where she goes, the closer we get to finding the synth, the less you want to be there. Um, you know, started off all wide-eyed, mm-hmm. uh, about trying to get to and excited about trying to find the synths. And now all of a sudden, she's effectively saying, Well, does anyone want to go to Nepenthe? Um, should we not all just go back to Earth? You know, and, and she, she snaps at them. And I, I, do like that sort of moment of realization from Tarati. And then she realizes, Oh, it could be f- for the Bruce Maddox thing. So I, I think her initial, um, suspicion gets overridden, and then starts feeding uh, her with the the chocolate milk and, and all the cake. But I, I think there's then misunderstanding across Gerati, Raffi, and also then Rios, because Rios thinks that Raffi is the one that may have the tracker on. Maybe Rios now thinks that Raffi is the one that's poisoned her or something with all in, <laughs> yeah, or, or, or something. Yeah. So, I love that this is this is his old friend. That they've been together for years.
0: Yeah and he instantly suspects that she's the one that's doing this so i uh, wonder does that say something about rios and his history as well
1: yeah but i i, I just think um you know I, I i liked all this kind of uh activity on la serena going mm. on it made jurati more real for me yeah um it not just you know it she was realizing the consequences that was happening and she was taking a stand and um, maybe you know elements of the mind meld that interrogation of her own mind was starting to wear off so she's she's done something about it but i did think it at at the start that it was just all too much and she was trying to kill herself
0: absolutely and there's even that kind of superman moment that that um christopher reeve superman moment where she has the thing of going why does it have to be me why do i have to go after the effing synth and 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 kill her soji why does it have to be me that does that can somebody else just do it can somebody else take this weight off my shoulders you know that I say Superman. That's much more Jesus uh, in the desert. I'm sure, I'm sure that predates same guy, Superman. Same guy. Same guy. Same <laughs> guy. It's pretty much the same guy. Um, but
1: there's only twelve stories.
0: <laughs> but uh, but I think that that is the moment where she's going. She knows she has more of this mission to complete and doesn't want to do any more of it. That's why I thought she was she was committing suicide in this episode.
1: I think Jesus's one was Moses. Came from Moses. I think it might have. <laughs> it might
0: have. <laughs> uh, Chris, I know you've already talked about your idea in your previous point. Have you got anything else to say about it there for this point? No,
2: I, I was pretty much the same with you guys until I again copped. Mm-hmm. The, the, it was...
0: like, oh yeah, the tracker's gone off. That makes much nah, more sense. Exactly. As soon as the tracker
2: goes off, I'm like, oh okay. So then, yeah.
0: Oh, she'll be grand. She's going to come out of that coma. She's fine. She's a medical doctor. She's just slightly exactly. overdosed herself because of, uh, because of that. Have to say, a tracking tablet that you that you crunch once and can track you forever. That's a uh, that's really dangerous, isn't it? Hopefully nobody will be uh, like popping one of those into your into your mouth while you sleep and just tracking you for the rest of your life.
1: You could disguise it as a <laughs> Rene or something, you know, so sort of for the, the the stomach settler or the al- an Alka-Seltzer or something. Yes. yes, Rene is the French version of Rennies, the, uh, the stomach settler. Yes, <laughs> oh, Rennies. Yeah, sorry, Rennies. Yes.
2: Uh, John, what is your medium point for this episode?
1: Um. Well. My medium point is I was wondering why they had on Nepenthe uh, a rabbit in the um, sort of establishing sort of panned mm. shot. <laughs> uh, and my middle point um, is Kestra, the the rabbity Robin Hood uh, of the forest <laughs> or the wise wabbit, um, if you. it was Warner Brothers. <laughs> um, because I really liked her. I thought she was going to be the, you know, dare I say it the annoying kid mm. uh, and I found her really really good and um, I just I love that she tried to empathize with Soji and um, and I think I've put in my notes here it's not from the pavement she licked it having come from the loins of um Will Riker and Deanna Troy mm-hmm. uh, so you know some of Deanna's um empathetic knowledge uh, and fr- from her own dna has rubbed off on her and I, I i really enjoyed that um you know after that sort of whoops moment where she lets it slip <laughs> that uh, she is actually a, a an android um kestra does try to find that empathy with soji through both um her dead brother uh, but also uh, with uh, Soji's dead sister Darje, mm-hmm. and she she really tries to connect uh, with with Soji here, um, almost as this this uh, little sister, you know. Um, and I, I thought that was really really nice. Yeah. But but more than that, that she, you know, she looks to build the trust be- between Soji uh, and Picard as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like Soji is really struggling um to try and understand what's real what she's experienced and whether she can trust everyone um on, on the planet nepenthe uh, and in particular picard and you know uh, i think kesha was she just came across as a really very wise uh lady Um mm-hmm. you know she said you could have Picard um, and he could have you and you could both have each other. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that it was just really nice where she's trying to sort of make, just make Soji trust Picard mm-hmm. um, and, and just the way she was doing it in, 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 a, in a very childlike way. Um, but one that I felt was really sort of meaningful. Yeah. And I thought this was good. I was not expecting to sort of like this character mm-hmm. at all Um, i just thought it was going to be the annoying kid yeah, yeah. Um, but you know they they ultimately did a will wheaton on her um, and and <laughs> in one episode rather it, it, in, in one seasons, episode so. and I, I i thought she was really good and you got the sense that you know she she was of the riker troy stock
0: Absolute, and i thought it was great absolutely i loved that moment where she says to soji you know well if you're only three years old you're my little sister basically so you have to do everything i say <laughs> which i love i love that little relationship yeah, between a them. little she's, big sister yeah exactly she's like I, I know you look older than me but now that i know you're only three years old and well now, now you have to do it they uh, have to do what i say you know uh, but yeah i love that that she's trying to build this little family unit out of picard and soji you know picard doesn't have anybody really uh, nobody else with him anyway uh, nobody else on board the ship and nobody else that he knows from the past so if they can just trust each other they can get through this and i love that there is that little knowledge of this must have come from her parents that that makes a lot of sense
1: and also just through the language of vivine as well where soji learns it you know the entire book within like Fifteen minutes yeah. or something um it's three I think she says all yeah, three the yeah exactly it, um just, so i i just, I just thought this was a really you know bringing soji into her own imaginary world with this language and her her rabity Robin hood and, and everything yeah um in order to get her out of what of her, effectively her imaginary world that she thought was reality for a while, I, so I just thought this was a really good way of, of doing it. Yeah. So uh yeah. I, that's my main, main medium point.
2: Yeah. Uh for me she she was the, the quintessential uh Will Wheaton. Wheaton. Yes. <laughs> um Will Whip. Uh yeah, she was she was just that she that's what the character was. I'd like to see her back as the White wabbit, mm-hmm. uh the Will Wheaton uh, yeah. with her kind of cool whip um, <laughs> well, I,
0: ca- I kind of like the idea that you could send her off to meet up with Picard and Soji at some point in the future. You know, you could have a time jump even. You know, Soji won't age. Um, yep. Picard, you probably could age him up a little bit more than he's, uh, than he's playing again on the show for... The I second season that. if that 's going to be the final season because you can 't keep aging them every season, <laughs> but uh, but you could have the two of them being sent off, or at least Sergio coming back to visit uh, these characters in the future as well but uh, it's a i think it 's a lovely relationship I think it's really well played and, and very realistic, I suppose. I love that she even calls out very quickly you know after pointing the arrows at the two of them, she goes. I wouldn't kill you, really. I'm I'm a pacifist, but this is a game, you know. This, this is just a costume that I'm dressed in, you know. That's why she has the rabbit ears on top of her Robin Hood costume kind of thing, you know. It's just really cute that she's out playing in the woods, basically. So, uh, but you know, she's playing and also uh, out hunting as well. So,
2: <laughs> two birds, one stone, or in this case, one rabbit, one arrow. Exactly. So for me, I'm I'm going to bring in my point here. Um, mm-hmm. c- uh, so I want to discuss Hugh and Elnor.
0: And yes. the battle
2: uh, and failure to save some of the XBs. Um, so we do lose a number. We don't know how many. Uh, well, we lose a, a fair amount of the XPs. Um, yes. at, at least seven get, get killed by the Chef yeah. We don't know how many XPs there are on the cube. Yeah. Um, but definitely, um, it makes a dent here. Um, mm.
0: I, 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 I think. Were to believe that there's thousands of borg being reclaimed because remember this was an active borg ship and there's yes. thousands and thousands that were on board um i think this certainly makes a dent because it's punishment for hugh for not giving the information that narissa wants and every dead xb is major punishment for hugh it's a, i think he plays this moment fantastically as well it's really painful uh the pain that's in his face as they're executing each individual one is quite evident as well
2: yeah i i would say actually probably the biggest punishment is his death a few minutes later mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> uh so there's three parts to this for me uh the first part is um Hugh's death mm-hmm. um I'm pretty sure that this is gonna have a massive knock on effect in the next episode because we do know there is some still connection between the XBs. Um we can see that for when um Picard first goes onto the ship and mm-hmm. there Hugh goes, they're trying to save you from falling off yeah. any of those two XBs. So there is still some form of connection there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um
0: and we know that he knew where the uh Borg Queen's uh, quarters were, which he wouldn't have known yes. on this particular ship because he wasn't there. You know, all that kind of stuff is is all knowledge that he could only gain if there was some form of connection still there with,
2: with yeah. the Borg. yeah. so we are going to see some ramifications to mm-hmm. these XPs being killed. Yeah. Um, the second is the the little fight scene we get. Mm-hmm. Um, showing off Elmer, uh, again, like his his samurai ninja warrior tricks. Yeah. Um, where I was laughing in my head slightly, which is, okay, they're gonna put uh phaser rifles up against a sword. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, this is this is not gonna go well for him. Huh. Well, it does kind of. <laughs> he he, he kind of does well against yeah. it, and he 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 takes that effort.
1: He's Batman.
2: Yeah, yeah, he really like. Yeah. yeah, it's parkour, parkour.
1: Yeah, it's parkour, Batman mm-hmm. with a ninja sword. Well, I think the whole setup to the
0: scene is you brought a knife to a gunfight, and that's that's the overconfidence of Nerissa. But he's he's lulling her into that false sense of security. She's got five people there with guns trained on him. Well, they can't possibly lose here, can they? You know, but of course they're going to. This is this is our hero character who knows how to, to use these skills. They're the most. They're supposed to be some of the most fearsome warriors in the galaxy, effectively. And he's trained for years at these skills. But this is the first time he's putting them into practice, remember. He's killed one person uh, in the past. We presume he wasn't going around the planet that he's from just killing people. Uh, This is his first proper mission that he's been on. And he's only killed one person just before he accepted the mission. And now, this time, he's killing the Romulans that are on, uh, that are on, uh, the board cube. So, uh, but it is, I think it's fantastic. You're absolutely right. It does feel a little Batman-y, uh, as he disappears down one character, appears in front of two guys, takes them out, gets another guy. That was great. Uh, kills him and is left with Snarissa. Now, unfortunately, probably his inexperience, but when someone tells you, this is not how I deal with uh, with your type of fighting and puts away their weapon. That's your moment to strike. It's not your moment to put away your weapon and fight them fist to fist, <laughs> especially a Romulan who is of the most secretive and deceptive version of Romulans because she's got a plan, which is exactly yes. what she enacts here. Um, yeah. Killing Hugh, my gosh, guys. Yeah, that was... We did talk on the last couple of episodes about particularly that meeting between Picard and Hugh, Hugh returning character from from Next Generation, who was just fantastic in that moment when he he met Picard. Talk about building um, rapport instantly, I thought, with the audience. He's just fantastic uh, in there. And, And I just kind of expected that this would be someone else that would be carried on in this series you know if you're going to bring back yeah. a character only appeared in the show a couple of times and you make sure that he's given this really good role in here you expect that since there is a season two maybe that's a character that could survive into season two you know but
1: i think um, it makes it really meaningful i mean i was just kind of like yay they've both survived mm-hmm. and then you know what half an hour into it and uh, Narissa's is kind of Lulling Elnor into a sword fight, um, as she puts away a gun and then just, uh, flicks out, um, the, the, the ninja daggers, mm-hmm. uh, and he gets him right in the jugular as yeah. well. So like, what an aim from Nerissa. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was a real shame to see Hugo and I, I wish they hadn't, but at the same yeah. time, I also do really respect shows that say, to some extent that no one's sacred Mm. i think going into uh the end of the last episode where uh, you knew the romulans were coming for elnor and and for hugh you there wasn't anything certain in my mind that they would survive Mm. and then seeing them survive i was like oh that's great and as i say within half an hour half of that 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 couple has, has gone yeah. um it in the form of hugh and so i like i will miss Huey he's one of my favorite characters and um, i take that in one more time didn't you John? yeah i did but uh <laughs> you know that they, they've 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 made a move and they've they've stuck with it and mm-hmm. i have to respect writers and showrunners that do that mm-hmm. uh, because it must be a difficult thing to do you certainly don't know what potential backlash maybe but it gives it also real emotional punch um you know that a highly trained agent of this secretive romulan cabal who said to him only earlier i would kill you if it wasn't for that asinine treaty Mm -hmm. that we have with the federation kills him yeah She's got what she wants. That's all was always her aim. And so, you know, it, it's absolutely consistent. It makes it consistent, despite yeah. the best efforts of Elnor, which I think what we're seeing here, because I was really pleased that Elnor survived. Um, but what we're seeing here is that Elnor, despite being massively trained, hugely accomplished in his swordcraft, in his Batman skills, <laughs> um, is also Still learning those skills of the Coatl Malat. Yeah. Um, he is—he's um, still quite young, and someone more experienced, possibly in Narissa. I don't know how old she is. She doesn't look that much older than him, but I'm just assuming she is. Um, you know, played him for a bit mm. by by telling him, "Okay, I'll put the gun away. I'll get out my dagger." That's how the Chad Vash fight the Kuat Malat, you know? And in doing so, she was able to release the, the ninja dagger. Yeah, but
0: also remember, he is massively arrogant in his abilities too, and he needs to learn to temper that too. You know, it's really important. Every time he's gone into battle, every single time, he goes in with a battle cry of, please choose to live to the people around him, meaning he believes he's going to win every single fight he's in. So having this moment where... There's nothing I think he could have done to stop Narissa other than keeping his sword out and killing her immediately when she puts away her weapon, um, which is the only option. But by letting her live, she had a plan that he couldn't possibly have anticipated, which was to kill Hugh and then get out of there. So um, he has to learn that you can't win every single one as well. Uh, You know, especially if you're not if you're not thinking that other people could be better than you in the room. So uh, I think you're right, John. I think this is a moment of learning for him as well. So.
2: Yeah. Uh, and I I'm I'm interested to see where they go with this. Um mm-hmm. I I question whether Q is dead
3: mm-hmm.
2: um because of the XB board parts in him. Um mm-hmm. there there is part of me going, "Will does does he still have a an implant that reanimates that does he have still have little nanobot bots in him blah blah blah? <laughs> Curious to see that.
0: Yeah. I think you might be disappointed if you think okay. he's going back, unfortunately. Okay. I did That's see a Lisa. lovely, a lovely video from, uh, from the actor who plays him, Jonathan Del Arco, uh, just talking about his experience on the show and talking about the fact that he's so proud of what he accomplished with the death of Hugh and and uh, this moment particularly and the outpouring of support that he's had uh, over the years, I suppose from from Star Trek fans. So um, so yeah, nice. I think I think that might be. Oh, he's dead then. His his final moment <laughs> Okay, the show,
2: yeah, he's so, gone then. Yeah. Um, the, Damn the,
1: you, Twitter. The,
2: <laughs> the one bit I will say um, is I and I, again this is kind of leading back to what I talked about earlier is the emotional resonance of Elnor closing scene. Mm-hmm. Um. Where he's there and he's scared and alone and curled up, uh, that does not—that's not resonating with me. Right, uh, I feel the hasn't been used am- amazingly well in terms of building that emotional connection, mm-hmm. just based on his his lack of screen time or mm-hmm. use so far if this had have been in another two episodes and we've had have been given more and more and more time with him and maybe if they had have just extended this out by one more episode and we had got a time with him and Hugh together and him learning being a bit more open and uh, maybe him being spending more time with Picard on the ship just getting more connection I think it, it would have been better it like literally if they hadn't called it out going you're not always going to win you you're a child in a man's body you are not a the greatest warrior you and he him going pushing forward and going i am i i will do this i make sure that they choose to live blah 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 right. i it just would have hit a bigger note for me um but again i like what they did mm-hmm. it's just it's it's not it, it connected like 60%. It didn't collect the full 80 to 100. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a B grade, or maybe it's a C grade. I don't know what sixty seven percent is. Anyway, <laughs> it, it's a good grade. It's just not a great grade. Be nice.
1: Yeah, I mean, I th- yeah. think definitely this was the best episode for Elnor. This mm-hmm. is where he had the most to do, and we yes. started to see... I mean, we know about him through the flashback with him as a young child mm-hmm. with Picard. But I think as well... Maybe because of the Coat Malat way, Um, even though they have absolute candor and will say whatever it is that needs to be said in that moment with brutal honesty and, and candor. It's like Spock, you know, there's a certain detachment there from maybe normal humanity as a Romulan. You know, if, if Spock had had that moment after the first three episodes of being on screen in the original Star Trek, it's difficult to know. Whereas by the time, you know, we get to calm, you know, that relationship between Captain Kirk and, and Spock mm-hmm. uh, are on the Enterprise. So, uh, but I, I do know what you mean. It was, it suddenly felt weird that he was so, um, sort of, Scurred, but i do think that he it's he's been knocked off his pedestal yeah, here yeah. and I, I think that he's realized that all his swagger his exuberance of youth and um, when up against a trusty uh non stunning romulan blaster um, then and he's on his own then yes uh it's a different proposition mm-hmm. and hence I suppose why he, he's, he's does the, um, the Fenris SOS, yeah. uh, for the Fenris, uh, rangers. I am also, I am kind of intrigued with, with Hugh having died now. Yes. I'm really excited with what you said, Chris, about, um, you know, the collective waking back up again in this board cube because mm-hmm. of all these XBs and then Hugh. Having been, um, killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That maybe this reactivates them in a way that is not going to be particularly beneficial for the Romulans. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, you know, I have to say, you know, I don't normally
0: ask much from TV shows that I'm watching and kind of willing to let them tell their story. But if you're on a Borg cube and you're reclaiming Borg and you haven't reclaimed all of them, and you specifically say there are areas of the ship, if you go into, you're in extreme danger. If you don't show that danger, and you don't show some of those Borg reactivating and attacking somebody, if you don't do that once in the rest of the three episodes that you've got, you've completely wasted an opportunity for me. (laughs) So I'm really hoping that this show just has one moment of a fully formed Borg attacking somebody, even just for one quick moment. That's all I want.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting if they do, uh, but let's wait. Let's definitely wait and see. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's get on to our final little moments uh, for this episode. Just a final thing that we
1: want to talk about for the episode.
0: Make it so, number one.
1: John, what's one thing that you want to talk about? Well, of course, um, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers, my uh, small moment is that everyone's dinner table should become the captain's ready room. Aww. Um I love this. Again, it's a bit like Riker in the kitchen at the start. I just thought it was so cool. Uh, A really nice way of taking uh, Riker and Troy's home and and just giving it that next generation aboard the USS Enterprise feel. Um, I absolutely loved it. And also I did take some decorating advice from them because I thought all those candles down the middle were cool. Uh, And I would quite like to do that on my own dinner table on, our dinner, dinner dinner table? Table on our dinner table in fact yes. or just yours <laughs> no <laughs> ours two sorry ours table? yes <laughs> excellent
0: that'd be cool yeah that'd be really good just make sure you're not passing bread across the table across the center well of the then table. you get toast it's fine um i've taken <laughs> some uh, some hospitality advice every every guest gets two pieces of pizza and everybody else has to take one i like that that's quite cool <laughs> <laughs> fatten up your guests it's quite
2: nice
0: <laughs> uh, chris what's your uh what's your little moment from the episode
2: Mine is uh, Soji's data head tick.
0: Oh yes, yes, very like, cool.
2: Just big hats off to Isabrianaus on this. It was mm-hmm. per- it, it it was down to Brett Spiner level. Yes, like it was, perfect, it was it? just it was perfectly mimicked. Yeah. Uh, I saw that and I went, oh oh now they have <laughs> to get her to do it more because now she's done it once. They have to see it more. She Delta has f- done
0: it once before in the season, actually. She, when, she, when Narek was trying to explain something to her not tip her off that she was an android back in um, episode three, I think it was, uh, she did the same kind of head tilt uh, as it well. It wasn't
2: as pronounced, was it? Okay, I, then I did not connect it. it. This one just straight away made me go, oh, that's data. Literally, that's mm-hmm. data.
0: And I love that that's exactly the same thing that tips off Riker as well. Yeah. You know, the minute Riker sees it, he goes, now I'm going to help you because now I know what I'm facing here. It's not just any Android. That's certainly one connected to our yeah. data. I think that's really good. Uh, just to point out, since we are an audio podcast, I uh, just want to point out that when I said that uh, she'd done that before, Chris immediately did his own data head tilt. Uh, since we don't have this uh, filmed, I just thought it was quite funny to point out.
2: I always <laughs> do that head tilt. That's the what? That is why individual almost always. Chris
0: is an android.
1: Yeah, I, I like the moment Riker says she has data DNA. Yes, uh, that was pretty cool. And also, because um, I didn't really pull that out, but it's it's the, the memory of data pervades this as well with Riker Picard and and Deanna. You mm. know, the friend that he was uh, as an android synth. Um, I thought was was really nice as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Sure. Derek, what's yours, your uh, small moment that you want to discuss?
1: Just one small thing I wanted to pull out from
0: the beginning of the episode, just because I thought it was a bit odd. Um, When they were trying to escape the tractor beam and Rios was kind of shouting at Raffi to do whatever she needed to do to pull them away from the tractor beam. You see Raffi is looking at some files on her screen and one's the Romulan drawings. Um, Do you remember the ones that when Soji was talking to Rhonda, the, uh the former... Borg who was a Vulcan, um in in where all the other Romulans were. Um those are the drawings that Rafi's looking at. That it's almost as if Rafi wasn't trying to help at all. It's like it's like as if she wasn't trying to help escape the Borg cube. She was trying to find out more information from Romulans aboard uh, this Borg cube. So this is what she hit on. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, is there some, some potential, you know, is Rafi still investigating possibly this, uh, this mission that's been preoccupying her for so many years? What did the Romulans have to do with the attack on Mars? Is the, is the thing that drove her the wedge within her family? Was she still doing this in this moment of peril when rios thought she was supposed to be helping them escape i just thought it was interesting that that's what she was looking at at the time so uh just just put a little pin in that one and we'll come back to it maybe it might be something for a future episode yes there are loads of other things to talk about in this episode let's see what else we've got
2: left isn't there something else you have to do yes so uh anyone have any other notes or anything something else
0: lots and lots of stuff in here lots of references i think being the episode that it is they probably assumed that some people would tune in that um that were just fans of next generation to see the reunion of these three characters so lots of interesting touches from the next generation i'm sure you guys noticed the music um was played a number of times throughout the episode. The original Star Trek t- theme and the next generation theme were played a few times uh, when we saw Riker and, and Deanna Troy on screen. So I thought that was a lovely little touch there. Uh, also the name of the name of their daughter, Kestra. Um, she's named after Diana Troy's older sister who had drowned when she was young. Um, so a lovely reference back to a, a one episode storyline where we, where we learned that. Um, but I think we had had heard about the character a few times over various series uh, when we had Deanna's mother, uh talking about with the loss and how difficult it was, so um also di- also interesting that Diana has gone through another loss of her own son as well um the name for thad was taken from one of will Riker's uh ancestors who was also mentioned in in next generation so um so Thaddeus named after Riker's ancestor and Kester named after Diana's older sister so uh nice little touches back to next generation.
2: It's good to see that even in that far in the future, they're still making and calling their kids stupid names. Why can't there just be John? John Riker. There you go. Oh, poor John. That's a good name. We want that? That's a good name. Oh, can't there be a John Riker?
0: Well, there is an in-universe reason, Chris, because Deanna Troy is a Betazoid. She is from the planet Beta Z. She's from a different planet. You know, Deanna, as a name itself, isn't uh, a usual... English Earth name, I suppose you'd say. So, true, uh, true. so there is a reason why they might call it. And their child. is
1: also a girl. Yeah. True. Exactly. You wouldn't call it John.
2: Joanna, <laughs> then, if you would. Yeah, Joanna. Uh, anyway. Moving forward, yeah, uh, my one I really liked was the Empire Strikes Back's reference by Gerati. Um, mm. It was obviously a clear call-out. It was really good. Yes. Um, I think she says, let's go hide in a comet somewhere, which turns out to be a, like a giant worm or, or gurmangor. We know what happens in Empire Strikes Back. It's uh, the, the great scene with the Millennium Falcon, and they go into the maze and then have to jump back out of mm-hmm. it as the space worm goes to get them. Exactly, um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, definitely, it was, a, it's a nice, nice call out. I just think it, it was a nice bit.
0: It is, and you know, interestingly, the, the, uh, species that she says, the gormangander, the, that, that massive worm species that was featured in Star Trek Discovery, the episode with Harry Mudd, an excellent episode. Rain Wilson does such a great job playing Harry Mudd in that episode, but, um, but interestingly, that massive space, uh, whale, I think they call it, uh, it's what, harry mud arrives in he's sitting inside its mouth as it drops onto the discovery its mouth opens up and harry mud pops out the front <laughs> of it so they even are referencing a species of uh space alien that was created within discovery just in this one line in this episode so a nice little touches uh to, to use those kind of things but definitely it's a it's a an Empire strikes back reference as well yeah yeah
1: yeah nice um yeah if- few notes from me I, I definitely think there is a mass effect feel to la serena mm-hmm. and indeed the controls uh, that rios uses to to pilot her so cool um i would say almost looks more like mass effect than a ship you would expect in star trek yeah to be honest i think it's pretty cool i love the mass effect game series so um i'm all for a Bit of Mass Effect visuals uh, coming into the Federation. Oh, there is just that moment where he kind of grabs the light
0: throttle and pushes it forward, and the ship <laughs> just boosts into warp. And you're it, just kind of going, Oh, I want to hop back in and play Mass Effect right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, so. it is. It, it's such a, it really does have uh, that feeling of the, the Mass Effect game series. And yeah, yeah. um, also, the Nepenthe, uh, the planet that sodium uh, picard been to and um, the the definition of nepenthe is a drug or a drink or the plant yielding it uh, and it's it's mentioned as having um power to bring forgetfulness of sorrow or trouble I which is uh, a nice gives a nice ring uh to the fact that um riker and diana uh, have chosen this to be their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, with the sorrow that they've had with uh, Thaddeus. Yes, absolutely, and and also, you know, making
0: Picard forget and move on from the trouble that he's going through, making Soji forget the sorrow that she has from the trouble she's gone through. So, um, lots of lots of great ideas in there as well. Uh, Picard also calls out in this episode his uh, don't stab him in the heart because his heart is pure duritanium. Uh, that's from Next Generation. It's just a reference to the fact he doesn't have a real heart in there. <laughs> Sometimes uh, a re- also a reference to why he can be a little bit cold-hearted because it's made of metal. <laughs> but we know he's warm and loving, really. Uh, my final one, just a reference to the book, the uh, Star Trek Picard uh, Last Best Hope. I've mentioned it a few times in the podcast here. Um, I highly recommend reading it. It's it's It just adds a little bit of extra color to all the characters that you're seeing uh within the show here you know there's nothing additional that you would need to read the book for that you can't get by watching the episodes of the show but if you're enjoying the show it's it's certainly a really enjoyable read to go along as a companion book but just something that I thought was interesting that's that's pulled into the TV show here uh, within the book Gerati is absolutely obsessed with cakes <laughs> and it's just quite funny because almost every scene that you see her she's either they're going to a coffee shop or having having cake uh, at lunchtime or uh, or bringing cake to somebody else's house. So I like in here that they have this moment that she references she ate three slices of massive cake <laughs> to get herself <laughs> over, this, over this thing. So it's been taken in here. It also makes me feel that the person who, who wrote the book at least had access to all 10 of the scripts for the show and was able to take... All of the character references and work them into the book in various ways. So all these characters do match up very closely to what's in the book. That doesn't always happen with books that are tie ins to, uh, to TV shows or movies. So, um, so I just think it was just a touch that I liked.
2: Definitely nice. Definitely nice. But gentlemen, I think it's about time we move on to some feedback. Yes fellow fans you can send in your thoughts to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or join us on our facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash tvpodcastindustries where we put up a spoiler post for every episode where we want to hear your thoughts after you watch it and let us know so we can include it in the episode if you want to hear your voice on the podcast you can record a clip of yourself on your phone and email it to us or you can go to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and record up to 90 seconds of your thoughts about that week's episode First up, we have a voicemail from Kevin Smith, not the Kevin Smith, a different Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith from Edmonton, Canada.
3: Hi, guys. Uh, this is Kevin from Edmonton, Canada. I love the podcast. Uh, I've, I've actually surveyed a few of the Picard podcasts, and and yours is my favorite. So mm-hmm. thanks for everything you do and keep up the good work. Uh, I'm thinking about Picard from the Romulans' point of view I'm imagining someone like the station manager coming onto his shift. lacutus is requesting access to the Borg cube. Oh, that's concerning. <laughs> what, no one went down to oversee the arrival of he whose name means speaker for the Borg. That's alarming. What? It was Hugh, the ex-Borg, who received him onto the ship, and there a Borg addressing him by name. Good Lord. <laughs> What's that you say? <laughs> you introduced him to a secret Borg Queen chamber from where he disappeared with someone who turns out to be a synth? Prepare the defenses. I mean, really, they, they really don't know anything about what happened or why Picard was here. But if I were them, uh, I'd be fearing the worst. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks for listening to my input. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks so much, Kevin. That's really good, actually. Yeah. Like, I know we, we kind of mentioned the fact that the idea that they gave Picard directions to get down to the ship. He had to be there on his own. Nobody else could come with him. And then suddenly he's in an area with nobody around him at all, uh, with no like, you know, armed guard waiting for him on arrival. You know, it takes a couple of minutes for Hugh to get over to, to see him at the exact coordinates he was told to beam down to. You know, that, that is pretty, uh, interesting, but you can imagine it from the shift manager's point of view going, did we just do that? <laughs> it was really bad of us.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. Thanks so much, Kevin, um, for for the uh, for the feedback there. Yeah, I mean, it, it was one of those weird things. It was almost like they were trying to put him in danger by mm. putting him into an area that would possibly have these Borg that are still potentially lethal, Maybe. um, or something. And of course, they've miscalculated badly, and certainly given that Hugh uh, came to meet him, so. Uh, it, but otherwise, you, you're kind of wondering, what were they expecting him to do uh, once they had sort of beamed him or given him the coordinates to pass of the ship? Someone had to meet them. You would think the controlling Romulans would want to be there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, thank you so much Kevin for the the voicemail. And um yeah, like it, it it's crazy. Like they they it, it's not a plot hole. It's definitely a um an oversight. On many parts, <laughs> it, is, yeah. um, but it yeah. is.
0: Thanks so much, Kevin, as well for listening. It's really good that you've been listening to um, to the the podcast, and I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um,
2: yeah, yes, and thank you for making us your number one choice when listening to your Star Trek Picard podcasts. Next up, we have an email from Graham Rutter in Buckinghamshire. Hi guys, I've been a podcast subscriber since The Watchmen, my personal TV highlight of 2019. Thank you very much, Graham. Glad to have you on board. You've got lots of, you've got 300 and something episodes to go back on and listen to <laughs> as well. Good, good on you. Graham went on to say, a thought on Star Trek Picard. We must assume that the affectionate flashback scenes earlier in the series between Bruce Maddox and Doctor dratty, occurred some time ago. Bruce's hair and beard appeared a little less grey. The Doctor, however, appeared unchanged. This may just be a small continuity issue, but could the Doctor actually be a synth created by Bruce? This may help explain her emotional conflicts at having slain her creator. Bruce also praised Agnes for her contributions in creating Soji and Dash. Could Dr. Drady be a prototype model? Alison Pill, the actress who plays Dr. Dradi, has form in playing characters who seem sweet but have a dark side. For example, her role as a schoolteacher in Snowpiercer, which is a uh, Parasite director's Bong Joon-ho's earlier film. I may, of course, be completely barking up the wrong galactic tree here. On a separate tax, have you considered covering Hunters showing on Amazon Prime? Looking at your back catalogue, including the boys, I think that this is a series you would enjoy. If not, it may be just one to watch for fun. Keep up the good work. I'm looking forward to your critique on Penny Dreadful Season 4. Graham in buckinghamshire
0: excellent graham um i'll take the uh the producer's question there whether we considered covering hunters before we go into the Star Trek picard was that okay
2: yes yes
0: <laughs> we did consider covering hunters absolutely yeah um the reason why we're not covering hunters is be covering because we're covering picard right now um if it was coming out weekly we actually probably would have been able to fit it into our schedule and i'll spoil my thoughts on it i absolutely loved hunters i couldn't get enough and i thought it was a fantastically put together show um The only challenge I had with that show was that it it kept popping up with the adverts saying, based on real events. And I absolutely understand that there are real events at the core of the show. But when you think of it much more as a mashup of Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards and The Boys, it makes a lot more sense. And I think it would draw in a much bigger audience. Because it is much more like a comic book movie and much more like a Quentin Tarantino action movie than uh, than I think it, the trailers would lead you to suspect, especially given the involvement of Al Pacino. Um, I think you'd expect it to be a much more serious courtroom drama with a little bit of violence here and there. There are some seriously heavy violent scenes in this show and there's some really good uh, filmmaking involved and in i really really enjoyed the show uh, but we're not going to be covering on the podcast itself and um, we just couldn't fit it in at the moment with the with the stuff that we're covering so that was a choice um if if we hadn't chosen to do picard we probably would have done um hunters but it all came out in one day as well so um something that we're trying to avoid if we can all at all choose to <laughs>
1: Yeah, thanks, Graham, for the, the feedback. Uh, glad to have you on board. Um, yeah, I really like the idea that um, she is a synth. Uh, I just wonder, though, that it seems as though Commodore O and certainly Narissa are very much aware of people who are synths, or maybe it is just Darge and Soji that they're absolutely certain about. Uh, I just have a feeling that they would be going after Jurati as well if she was. But uh, the idea that she could be a form of prototype model um, is a good one. The thing is, there's loads of good theories that are coming out, so uh, that's another one to add to the list. Yeah. So, yeah, good good ideas coming through the uh, Graham, for sure. Yeah. She right.
2: could be the mummy. We know who the daddy Perhaps. is, we don't know who the mummy is.
1: That's true uh, we certainly know that she's evil.
2: Yes. She's always she's killed people. Yeah. She that that's that's, a, that's she's evil. Yeah.
0: She's the hero in her own story. Let's be, let's be clear about that. <laughs> uh, if you want to know more about uh, Agnes Gerati, again, I highly recommend the novel, um, uh, Stretch Up Card, Last Best Hope. Um, read it. There's a lot about Gerati in, in that novel a lot about the relationship between her and Bruce Maddox in, in there as well. Uh, not going to spoil anything that might affect your enjoyment of the rest of the series though, but thanks so much for your feedback, Graham.
2: Yes. Thank you so much, Graham. Over on Facebook, we have some feedback over on the spoiler post. Brian Malosh from the Picard podcast on Talk Through Media said, I'll hold off on spoilers, but this one was amazing. Almost as good as the premiere for me. I will say one thing. Not giving Marina Sirtis the special guest star credit was a travesty. This was one of her best performances.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Marina Certi's return as Diana Troy in this episode is just magnificent. Totally agree with you there, Brian. Um, such, such a great job. I think I've mentioned it quite, quite a lot, uh, back in the episode. Um, just to mention, I'm sure you guys don't have, I'm sure you guys haven't seen this particular episode, but the Ready Room that Will Wheaton's presenting, um, for CBS All Access, uh, he has an interview this week with Brent Spiner and, uh, Jonathan Frakes where they talk about, uh, coming back for the show effectively it's a really really good one if you haven't seen any of the episodes so far uh, watch that one with the interview with the three of them i think it just gives you a lot of insight into what it takes to come back after 18 years into these roles especially if you're only taking a role for one episode you know it's kind of a much bigger deal for uh, patrick stewart coming back to take on the full season than for jerry ryan to come back taking you know three or four episodes but for someone like jonathan frakes to come back and do one episode um it, it was quite a lot for him to decide to come back uh, he makes the point that, you know, he directed um Patrick Stewart for two episodes already and then he was asked to come back for the episode and he al- he already had talked to Marina Sirtis and she'd been on a stage in in uh, the West End for a couple of months. And he was like, these two people are at the top of their game and they're asking me to come back and pretend to be this character I haven't been in 20 years. I'm going to look like a fool beside the two of them, you know. Um So he- it's just a- quite an interesting uh insight into what it took i suppose to to make the show and for these characters to come back so um totally agree with you brian i think she was fantastic i'd love to see her get some kind of nod for uh, for a guest star
1: as well yeah definitely thanks brian also up on facebook we have um bob phillips he says enjoyed this episode and have a few thoughts firstly i'd not realized romulans could do the vulcan mind meld but why not same species really and mm-hmm. um, then there's the really lovely reveal and finish of the ingested gps plot line <laughs> maybe Gerati is a goodie after all albeit a murderous one lastly i have thoughts about the troy child what age was she meant to be acted between 6 and 13 without clarity for me, writing, not performance. Mm. And extra lastly, if you can hold a drawn bow that long, it's going to be pretty weak pull and not very deadly. Nice. And extra, extra lastly, don't those wood fire ovens cook pizza in about two minutes? <laughs> um, yes, and have a massive carbon footprint, which is dreadful for that day and age. Um, but... Um, <laughs> I think it could be a synthesized wood fire, and maybe wood grows differently on this planet. Yes, I I think (laughs) um, maybe uh, the technicalities of a longbow may not have been at the forefront of, of the prop designer. But certainly, yes. Uh, at least they didn't put a lethal weapon into uh, her hand She's playing a game, obviously. Yeah, exactly. card
0: knows who she is as well. When he arrives, he knows that that's Kestra because he almost instantly says, "Are your parents home? exactly?" Kind of so, uh, yeah.
1: Um, I, I I thought Kestra uh, plays um, it really well. I, I think probably just mature beyond her years um i hadn't really pegged an age on her to be honest yeah. um but it, it's one of those strange things uh, i think within uh, star trek picard is that you know whilst they have almost like a, an alexa type thing going on in the kitchen with with commander riker and they have their communicators and um, they're certainly not doing facebook and they still are asking their children to draw and to go out and experience um, the wider world to put themselves at risk rather than simply sort of Facebooking it or whatever. (laughs) So like it's it's kind of it does seem strange maybe I I don't know it's weird you know a lot of people sort of look at this future and go why aren't they doing this or why aren't they doing that but it's just a particular kind of future and I I mean, Will Wheaton was always uh, wise beyond his years as well. Who was? Will Wheaton. (laughs) Oh, there you go. With his cool quick. I
2: know
1: him. Uh, Thanks, Bob. Definitely. Yeah, thanks so much, Bob. Really good to hear from you
0: for this week for your thoughts on the episode. Uh, One final piece of voicemail we've got in from
4: our wonderful friend, Steve Brown. Hello, TV Podcast Industries. This is Steve, and I just finished watching uh Nepin, penth bipinthe for the first time. And uh loved it. It was a, it was a good episode. It was great to see uh Riker and Troy back and uh, loved seeing uh their their daughter and uh, such a tragic story about uh, their son and the fact that he he could have been cured if this synth ban hadn't happened, which was a little unclear to me, but uh but okay, I'll I'll take it, I guess. Uh if, if that's it just doesn't seem, it seems like there would have been another way to find a cure, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, and, uh, um, really love that Elnor is, uh, is still alive and, uh, and almost got, almost got, uh, uh, sister, whatever her name is, uh, Romulan, Narek's Romulan sister and, uh, uh, sad that we have lost Hugh, but, uh, I don't want to give anything away. No spoilers if you didn't see the preview for next week, but something's coming that I'm just very excited, uh, to see. So, uh, can't wait to hear what you guys thought. This was a short one, but, uh, I really did enjoy the episode. I'm enjoying your guys' podcast, the, the pub quiz, pub quiz questions. Uh, that last one was tough. I don't think I, I don't even know if I got it right or not. I totally had to guess. uh, But uh, the the other questions have been have been great, and hopefully the one for this episode isn't as difficult. Uh, All right, uh, talk to you later.
0: Excellent. I think with the pressing of the Fenris SOS badge, even if we didn't see the preview, we know why you're excited uh, to see the next episode, Steve, because we are too. That's going to be very exciting, what's happening in the next episode.
2: Yes, thanks, Steve. So one thing I will note, just for some of our listeners uh, who are in Europe, who are not watching in the States, um, uh, on the recordings there on the CBS app or with their their streaming service, uh, the, the trailer for next week plays before the credits. Mm. So...
0: We don't tend to do that in Europe, do we? Especially with, uh, especially with the streaming services. They don't put the trailer on there because you can, I think you can't really avoid it. And almost every American show I've ever watched when I've been over there, uh, you're suddenly watching a trailer for next week when you may not want to, you know, yeah, cool. <laughs> try to keep yourself spoiler free. Um, but yes, uh, really excited to see the next steps. I'm glad you're enjoying, uh, enjoying the show, Steve and wonderful setup there. You can tell you're a podcaster, Steve. You've just set up our next section. Time to go off to 10 forward for a pub quiz. Please make the question easier than last week, John.
1: Steve and other um, fellow pub quizzes, uh, I certainly will make it easier. I don't even think I know the answer and I ask the question. <laughs> and I'm not entirely sure whether I remember the question correctly either. So, <clears throat> I've, got the, I've got the question. I've got the answer written down for you. Don't you worry. Yes. It may be the answer might be drawn from a hat <laughs> on that one. Um, But in the words of Picard by a uh, pizza oven, speaking of drinking, I am going to grab a glass of wine for this (laughs) 10 forward pub quiz. I hope you've got your own favorite tipple uh, as well. So the question for episode seven, what three topping ingredients were used by Will Riker on the pizza he made on the Penthe? Um, there are three topping ingredients mm-hmm. for your culinary quiz pleasure. Yes. And um, since it's a reasonably easy question,
0: we do need the specific names that they're given on the episode, right? Yes. Not, but the, not the earth equivalents of them. <laughs>
1: that is true. And one of them is not said at the time when they say the three ingredients. So this mm-hmm. is across the episode. <laughs> so it's easier in terms of the answer, yes. but you have to be... Uh, mindful of where the actual names crop up in the episode. Yes. Exactly. But if you do watch The Ready Room, the aforementioned program presented by uh, Will Wheaton,
0: uh, there's a very big hint in there <laughs> as to what the answer to this question might be, because they may give you the recipe for as, the pizza. <laughs> as the quiz
1: master and gatekeeper, <laughs> then I think the post-show discussions will not be taken into account here <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> well let there be no gatekeepers in nerd communities i hate them they're my least favorite types of people <laughs>
1: okay um, dungeon master then. Uh, there you games go like master. Oh, games master gmdm games master yes. dungeon master bartender Can bartender? Be bartender yeah <laughs> hunky <laughs> sexy bartender You're
2: basically
1: but i'll be hunky and and i'll be like all sexy delivering you a scotch on the rocks nice on that note, John, do you want to give the question one more time? Absolutely. What three topping ingredients were used by Will Riker on the pizza he made on Nepenthe? Three ingredients, please, fellow pub quizzes. And remember, this is all for a chance for some great Star Trek prizes, which I think we can reveal. Finally, yes, we should be
0: able to reveal the prizes. We've finally chosen what they are and hopefully should get our hands on them in time for the final episode and for the final quiz.
1: Yes, so you're in with a chance to win a Picard beer steiner, a Federation insignia, uh, as well as the making of Star Trek Picard book. Mm-hmm. So they are your three prizes. Yes. Obviously, in the spirit of a pub quiz, we thought a beer steiner would be rather good. Absolutely, yeah. It was a toss-up between that or a sure, sure. Picard uh wine glass yes the chateau picard wine glass yes. but they were they were stemless and i'm not a big fan of stemless wine glasses
2: that just, that's just, just a whiskey a bit, tumbler
1: yeah yeah, but they just look a bit they I don't know they look a bit beaker like for children you know and uh, they look like they could smash much more easily in transit yeah. so we thought a hardy beer steiner uh with the picard family crest which says to boldly go where no man has gone before Certainly, after 10 of these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's exactly what it says on, but uh, you can check that out on
0: startrek.com. Uh, the shop has them available there if you want to see what they look like. Um, and the Federation insignia is the um, the badge that uh, that I got over at, uh, at the European Star Trek yes, premiere. Yes, true. Yes, so just so you know what that is. Thank you so much once again for joining us. We'll be back next week with Star Trek Picard Episode 8: Broken Pieces, written by Michael Chabon and directed once again by Maya Virvo. It airs on the 12th. 12th of March and we'll be back just afterwards with our thoughts on the episode again to remind you if you want more of what we cover go on over to patreon.com slash tv podcast industries support us at any level and you can get access to at least the first season of our discussion of penny dreadful season one and all future discussions that we have on Penny Dreadful uh, coming out over the next couple of weeks.
2: Yes, you'll have to give us more than a penny, but it won't be dreadful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Although the podcast is called the Dreadful Podcast, which I I really still like. I love day. it. I
2: absolutely. Love. But it's, <laughs> it 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 is it's not like Ron said. It doesn't do what it says on the tin. It is yes. fake advertising. It will be dreadful when I join.
0: <laughs> well, maybe you won't be joining now, Jack.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Remember to say subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy what you hear, why not share it with your friends? Because sharing the podcast is sharing the love.
0: Bye-bye, fellow trekkers and trackies. Keep
1: watching the stars.
2: Engage. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much, fellow Trekkers and Trekkies. As always, it's a pleasure speaking with you. We will be back next time. But remember, keep watching, keep listening and engage. Had five funky Fonzie Vulcans out of five. You didn't get to use it. No. We might do a pickup,
0: or we'll just do it as the post-credit scene. Sorry, John. We kind of ran out of time. Uh, we don't normally review episodes, so uh, it's usually the thing that
1: we... I do. I do it every single episode, <laughs> <laughs> literally. But
2: it... and if you were going to review it, what would you give?
1: I would give it five funky Fonzie Vulcans out of five. Nice. With a Commodore O on top for <laughs> good measure. Yes. What a great episode this was. Excellent. Excellent. Right, there you go. That's our post credit scene for you, John.
0: Let's not go back in the episode. No.
3: Excellent.
1: <laughs>
0: Bye.